Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by Clara Smith, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Slack. In this episode, Clara shared why internal trust is critical for your competitive program to succeed and how she's achieved this at Slack, what pillars she established during her time at iSIMS in order to scale their competitive program all as a team of one, the biggest lessons she's learned over her career, and then Clara also spills the beans on what really gets the execs attention when you share competitive briefs with them. Before we kick things off with Claire, a quick housekeeping note from me. Listeners, keep your eyes peeled for our Competitive Enablement Summit, which will be on October 27th and the 28th. You'll be able to register for this virtual event next week, and we can't wait to share with you the awesome speakers that we've got lined up. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am joined by Clara Smith the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Slack. Clara has eight years of experience in product marketing and competitive intelligence at companies like iSIMS, NetSuite, and now at Slack. Clara, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm a huge fan and so excited to be here today to share my experiences with you and everybody listening in the, in the internet. Um, yeah, we've been we've had this one penciled for a while. I'm really excited to kick this thing off. And in the episode, we're actually going to talk about what it takes to scale and mature your competitive program so that you can support the entire business. And with that said, I, I want to dive right into this. And I think it's only natural that we kick off by talking about where you should begin. Where do you start? In a lot of cases, I think everyone's seen these images nowadays where Markets are flooded, especially in the tech, play, um, the tech space. And you're finding your logo in this like G2 matrix. It's kind of like playing Where's Waldo. It's just so crowded. And a common question is, where do I start? Who do I focus on? What competitors should I prioritize? So, Claire, in your, in your roles that you've been in, how do you determine where you should start? Yeah, Adam, that's the million-dollar question, right? Where do you put your efforts and focus? I would say internally, start with you know your best reps. Start with a simple survey that you could start uh, understanding you know your stakeholders and where they deem the threats are. Right? Where does product management track? What does sales track? What are your executives track? And then if you have a system, you know like a CRM or Salesforce or whatever the case may be, see if you could run some reports on what are the fields uh, that your sales reps are filling out to actually give you that indication. So this, this reminded me of my time back at iSIMS where you know, we were within the HR tech space and there was hundreds of competitors, right? From a best of breed category to a full suite category type competitor, right? Like the Oracles and SAPs of the world. Then you had like the greenhouse and job bites of the world. And there was a tremendous pressure to cover everything. And what we did was we looked at who we losing to, right? What was the revenue actually on the table that we were losing to? And that's always a great place to start. So I could do a whole talk track just on this, Adam, <laughs> but I'll keep it short and sweet. You know what's funny is I'm curious when you uh, when you listen to like surveying your field and what they deem as the competitors that are affecting them most, then you look at the the data. Did it line up or was there a misalignment? Like is it like their sort of alignment? Like how does that look? 
Yeah, there's always going to be those sexy competitors, right? Like those really exciting competitors that everybody tracks and gets very hyped up about. But in reality, are they coming up in your deals? And typically the answer is maybe in your SMB ones, right? Maybe in, in the, the blue ocean category of, of your segments. But in terms of like the large enterprise deals, which a lot of companies like to focus on, they're not there yet, right? And so by putting them in their place, by tiering them out, then you can say, we're going to focus XYZ resources on these tier one competitors. And we were able to calibrate that with the surveys, with the CRM data, with, you know, the, the lost data that we're losing, and then also with executive approval, right? So, you know, you want to, of course, understand what your stakeholders are driving and what they want to be tracked, and then use that as a calibration exercise. And I literally took a marker out on a whiteboard and said, these are our tier one competitors. These are our tier two competitors. These are tier three. Tier one will be covered in our newsletters and sales support. Tier, tier two, uh, you know, are, are with that, but kind of a little bit lighter. And then tier three is if we have time and space for them. So that was my nitty gritty in terms of how I did it. That's awesome. And kind of providing like those actionable steps of like, this is what I'm going to provide for you to the exec team and also the people that are going to be consuming, especially reps. It's kind of cool that you're kind of keeping them in the loop of like, these are the things that you're going to be receiving. Um, okay. Prioritization. It's not just who you're prioritizing, like who you're focusing on is also what is the Intel that you're trying to collect. And as another thing that I hear commonly is what, what is noise and what is actual valuable Intel and like, where should I be going to get this kind of stuff? So mm -hmm. during your time, like, how do you prioritize what intel you want to be collecting on a competitor and how do you go about it? Yeah, Adam, so that kind of goes back to your day one mission statement of who are you serving internally, right? CI is one of those sports or one of those functions that can be everything to everybody or nothing to everybody, right? Depending on how, um, you know, how overstretched you might be over promise and under delivering, which is a point that you never want to get to. Um, but specifically in terms of how I did it on day one was I went back to our stakeholders and our key stakeholders were executives, you know, sales and product management, right? Or business analysis, uh, who actually owns the roadmap. And in terms of, you know, roadmap data that completely correlates to the type of intel that's coming in, right? It's obviously product releases, it's win-loss interviews and insights that way. It's why did we lose certain sales deals? And we had them validate that. So I literally had a walk around deck that I went to all my executives and said, this is my plan. What do you think? Right. And then I said, what else do you need from me? And we became very clear on the deliverables and expectations. And it wasn't a service arm, but it was a partnership. And I think it's so incredible to think of CI as a team sport, because if you think that you can do it all, you've already lost. That's uh, having that humility is, I think, pretty key. And it also naturally is going to get more buy-in as well, that you're not coming at it like I'm the, you are the voice, like the authority and like the voice on competitive, but you're also expressing that like, this is not just going to be top down for me. Like, here's an understanding that a lot of the great stuff that's going to be coming in is from the field is from what you're hearing it is from these win-loss interviews so I think that's actually a very like setting that tone early I I'm curious actually when so you've been in the CI space now for about eight years is there anything that's changed in terms of your perspective like when you start and you're like this is the intel this is what I need this was what I think is valuable and now you're like looking back like why did I care so much about grab, grabbing that stuff <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a great point, Adam. I think when I started, I was the queen of Google alerts. Google <laughs> also had another competitor called Talkwalker. So I was like the queen of both of these systems. And I would like game them against each other. Like who's going to catch the, the latest and greatest intel from me based on keyword. And I was obsessed by that. Right. And I think that it has its time and place, but to put so much focus on that really takes your focus around other sources of intel. And looking back, I think what's changed in the greater macro sense is the technology that we now have, right? The, the Google searching capabilities. And when I'm talking about Google search, I don't mean just regular keywords. I mean, in-depth PDF searching based on the, uh, the actual documents that are publicly available. People would be shocked to see kind of what is publicly available. And I'm happy to do a whole other podcast on that, Adam. Uh, but just to answer your question, I think the technology has changed. The maturity within the CI landscape has changed in terms of the vendors that you can you know, rely on to support a lot of those information gathering methods. And then lastly, you know, your customer has changed, right? Has, it has gone beyond uh, a, a researching and synthesizing sport to something that's a lot more actionable in terms of putting insights into action. Let's get into your time at iSIMS because yeah. you were a team of one there. And that is, I think a ton of our listeners are going to be in that same spot that you're at, that they're in charge of this, or it's one of eight different things they're doing, competitive. So when you look back now, during your time when you're at iSIMS, you have this entire competitive function on your shoulders. What's one thing that, or the most effective thing you did to actually establish and entrench the program within the org so that it could start to scale or flourish or get buy-in, I suppose? Yeah, Adam, that's a great question. I think the first thing is putting pen to paper. I know that sounds really corny, but we literally did that. Um, my boss and I, uh, he was the director of product marketing at the time, so obviously had other teams reporting into him. Uh, we, we solidified a walk-around deck, right? And then we went to each of the stakeholders. Like I previously mentioned, we went to product management, we went to marketing, we went to sales, we went to executives, we went to corporate strategy. And we said, this is what we can offer you. This is the type of services that we want to bring to the table. And this is what a partnership can look like with you. And I think by keeping the door open to shows where Intel can come from, because each of these groups uniquely are connected to customers and the market. And by letting them know, again, that CI is that team sport, you never know where Intel is going to come back. So that really helped in terms of setting our tone, set, setting uh, the stakeholder agreement up forth and kind of creating a an SLA, right? Or, you know, a, an agreement with your stakeholders around what they can expect from you. The first stage of what we did was we tried to cover the market. And when I say we, it was my boss and I and everybody else who was supporting me, right? It wasn't just the Clara show. But we started covering the market, and that meant putting out a weekly or monthly newsletter, right, depending on the audience. You can have an executive newsletter, you can have a product-focused newsletter, you can have a sales-focused newsletter. So I started one generically where I included everybody and then later on uh, specified. But that newsletter, one, built trust within the organization, and two, it allowed people to raise their hand and say, I want this in the newsletter, right? So they felt that back and forth recognition and showed that their intel could be put on a pedestal to share with the company. So that was critical in terms of just building trust within the organization. It sounds really simple and like a duh type of comment, but once you can start building up trust within your organizational counterparts, then the back and forth capacity happens where they say, okay, Claire, because I trust you, 
of owning the market and owning what's actually happening in the market. Can you then help me with this project where we're forecasting ADC or whatever the case may be? So a couple of stories there, Adam, hope, hope that helps. It, it seems like with these uh, partners or stakeholders that you come to them almost like, here, I want to listen to you. I want to hear what you're dealing with or the problems you're facing or what you want. Yeah, that's, that's critical because at the end of the day, where I'm coming from is I want competitive intelligence or competitive enablement or uh, whatever you want to call it. I want that in strategic decision-making, right? Of course, you want to support sales. Of course, you want to monitor the market. Of course, you want to influence marketing campaigns and attribute revenue to all your campaigns. But at the end of the day, every CI analyst or product marketing manager wants their seat at the table and wants to say that we moved the needle in terms of a company decision. And by having CI embedded into that strategic decision-making process, that's truly um, a major macro win at the end of the day for your entire program. And so that's why my attitude was coming to the stakeholders, which was, what was your priorities, right? What are you trying to accomplish? Because then with my awareness of that, I could then incorporate that into all my analysis and researching on the front end. So now the full circle starts, Adam, where it's like, what did I do wrong was I just went out and researched the market, not knowing what my stakeholders wanted. But now knowing what my stakeholders want, I can be more valuable to my stakeholders and more effective to cut out the noise in the market. It's snapping it to the business objectives, right? It creates that alignment that I feel like alignment gets tossed around a lot. But like what you mentioned there, it's like that's how you're going to provide value because it's contributing to the broader business objectives. Right. I'm going to go on the flip side here. Oh, well, not even the flip side, but... Let's hear it. Let's hear it. You got me interested. <laughs> I, at iSIMS as well, there is being a team of one, although you said you did have support elsewhere. What was what was something that was harder than you expected? And what did you learn from this, this baptism of fire as a team of one? <laughs> baptism of fire. I love how you say that. <laughs> I learned that you can get uh, overworked really easily. And for a, uh, a self-proclaimed people pleaser as myself, the first thing that I learned was actually how to say no. And that sounds like a very, you know, easy thing to figure out as an emerging professional, but that was something that I uh, received feedback on and really worked on personally and professionally was saying no and saying, well, this is not in our tier of competitors. And if you want this to be in our tier of competitors, then this is the process that we do. We look at it on a quarterly basis. You know, we get executive approval, et cetera, et cetera. So by putting kind of sales and people in their place, that was really helpful. Instead of saying yes and wanting the program to be everything to everyone, we had to be really tailored to figure out how do we really deliver true content and true deliverables that were differentiated um, on time and that we're accurate, right? Because you can become a sloppy CI program really quickly by saying yes to everybody. And so of course it helps having a boss to prioritize your work and in your recommendations, of course, around that. But I'll tell you a really interesting story where it was probably my second week uh, as a competitive intelligence analyst at iSIMS. And this really reputable salesperson came to me. He was the head honcho of like all of EMEA, right? He was one of the first sales reps in all of EMEA. And he had this really cool accent. And of course, I was like, <laughs> you know, taken aback by his cool accent, right? American girl over here. But uh, yeah, and he called me up directly. And he said, Clary, like, I really need help. I'm in this bind. And they're looking at 
five to six to seven competitors. And I need a matrix that shows all the good and the bad functionalities comparing these competitors to ISIMs. And of course, what do you think the people pleaser said? I'll do it. I'll do I'll it. I'll do it. So I said, <laughs> yes, Adam, I'll do it. And what happened next was I remember staying four or five hours late till like 10 o'clock at night in the office because you know, you had the European time zone and I was at Eastern time zone at that point. Long story short, I ended up flipping the deck to him. And I said, you know, this took a lot of time. Please know that this is deal specific, that these features are important to your customer. And I want to be there to deliver that intelligence to the customer so that I can put a face to it and share where this intelligence came from. And he said, nah, nah, Claire, I'm good. <laughs> so what he did was he flipped the deck, just like, a lot of salespeople do, love salespeople out there, uh, but he flipped the deck to the customer and he said, this is how we stack up against the competitor. And he thought he won the deal. Later on, I found out that he lost the deal. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day is one, you have to understand where the intelligence is going. Two, who's it being delivered to? And three, not to get distracted by somebody's accent. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are all incredibly valuable lessons um <laughs> that, was, that was a doozy that was a doozy i'm very I, I i'm just picturing a young clara just being bamboozled by by some kind of wily i don't even know like some wily old did he, was it an english accent was it it was an english accent yeah now you know my weakness adam don't trust, use it against me and trust english people i hope my dad's not listening um all right let's <laughs> let, let's move forward to how you mature your program i think we've talked about yeah. like setting down like roots or or pillars and how do you get to those next parts of your competitive program where it can start to scale and support other teams or more mm -hmm. people and doing that effectively so in a previous session that that you did, it was an awesome one with the PMA. I, I believe it was with Fiona from Unbounce, August mm -hmm. from Dell Tech, Tech, I believe. Yep, Dell and Tech. A, and a friend from Skip as well. I remember you saying that you see CI maturity in stages. So high level, what do these stages look to look like to you? Yeah, so Adam, if I had a whiteboard, I would, I would tear them out for you today. But this comes from an idea that every program is unique based on the stakeholders that they serve. So at you know, its base, stage one, I would say, is, is monitoring the news, delivering the news, writing a newsletter as your output, and, and serving uh, your internal market with market awareness and analysis. And then once that's done, great, then you can begin to actually put those insights into action in live sales deals, right? So you could say stage two is doing that and serving sales. Then once you get some rich win-loss data from sales and understand what plays are working in market, what's resonating with customers, guess what? Now you can move the needle on demand gen campaigns. And so what I see is that some CI programs, they like to dabble all around and do a bunch of that. But the way I see it is a pyramid form where if you don't do great market analysis and you don't do it well foundationally, all the other pieces will start to crumble. And again, this is, you know, one lady's perspective on this. I'm sure that people will have their own perspective on this, but, you know, as you go up the ladder or up the pyramid, then you get to your tip top, which is your 
executive stakeholders, right? And when you brief your executive stakeholders, you want all your ducks in a row, right? You want your newsletter really sharp. You want your sales etiquette and your interactions and your revenue attribution on point. You want your marketing campaigns influenced, right? You want to have already worked with corporate strategy so that when you sit in front of them, you can say, this is not just my voice, but this is the voice of the field. And I've done, you know, my share, fair share of executive briefings. And what makes me nervous when I walk into a room with executives is, do I know the voice of the field? And have I had that hand-to-hand -hand field combat with our competitors? And in most cases, the answer was yes. But in some cases, I was still a little nervous. How do you get that clear understanding of what the voice of the field is then? Because I'm sure there is, I'm sure that you're going to get different opinions from different people in the field as well. Like it's not going to be one perfect message from all of sellers or all of product. Like, is there a way that you kind of juggle that or determine like what the consensus is from the field? Yeah. And that's where you have to put on your analyst hat or your synthesizer hat to understand what does that look like? And so you're always going to get outliers from the field, right? Like this competitor is killing us, right? Or this is the fanciest competitor on the block, right? And so you have to mediate that and figure out, well, how many deals is this showing up in? What's the revenue impact? What's the impact on our win-loss rate? Um, what kind of product innovations are they putting in market ahead of us or even behind us, right? Who's lagging as a competitor? And all of those things bundled together will help you make that decision. I can't necessarily tell you how to do it. I think that's the secret sauce of being a CI geek or analyst or product marketing mentor or whatever your title is. It's the unique insights that you can pull from the people that you work with and the market that you're in today. And the more unique they are, the more job security you have. <laughs> this idea of competitive maturity too, um, it, it ties to something that we worked on at Clue, this competitive enablement maturity model. And it does follow that similar sort of, you, you kind of were gesturing, well, to the people listening to the podcast, the way that Claire was showing, it was almost in like a pyramid form and you, you're taking it step by step by step rather than like, as you mentioned, dabbling. What are, what are those main pillars that someone who's okay, they've taken your, they've taken your um, advice on the prior prioritization of competitors and they've got that bit sorted. What's that next? What are the other pillars that they really need early on to be able to start scaling? Mm, that's a million dollar question, Adam, you know, in, in every organization uh, it's going to look different on what scale looks like based on your budget based on your priority and based on your stakeholders, right? So I know, you know, there's plenty of compete enablement and competitive intelligence platforms and vendors out there like Clue uh, that help you scale, right? And help you take that content and that knowledge to thousands of sales reps and to thousands of CSMs or account managers or executives or VPs all around the world. And so I would definitely, um, you know, figure out what that looks like for your company, have a deep look into if you can afford that, Early in my career, I had no budget, so I couldn't afford any of that. And so I had to be a very thrifty East Coast analyst and crowdsource it to the most of my abilities in terms of getting that feedback from, uh, from the, the company itself. But to answer your question in terms of like, what are those core pillars to scale a CI program? It definitely starts with 
news analysis or a newsletter, a source of truth. And that can be a Slack channel, that can be a monthly newsletter, that can be uh, a CI portal, right? Some source of source of truth that's not all across the company in various pockets, but it's centralized in one location. That can look very different for every company. So that's why I kept the definition very wide. Another um, pillar of scalability and and reaching uh, people all across the company is a session that I used to do at ISIM is called uh, monthly lunch and learns. And we picked one competitor a month and I told everybody to bring their lunches. And I sat in front of, you know, 150 sales reps in person and, you know, triple on, on the, the WebEx, right? Or the Zoom that we're dialing in from other countries. And we just geeked out about this competitor. I had a short deck that I had put in that, that portal or that source of truth that I pulled. And I said, this is what I found. What did you find? And I lined up three or four salespeople to talk about their deals, their wins, their losses, so that they knew that it wasn't all coming from me, but that we were all in this together. And those monthly lunch and learns helped scale out the insights and put those into action, right? And drive truth and drive behavior change within the sales organization. So that was one of the most popular and exciting things that I did to kind of scale it out. I also did new hire training, which is something that is critical. So regardless of how big your company gets, you have new sellers, uh, new marketers, new product people coming in each and every day. And by owning that new hire training, whether it's an hour or two or three, um, definitely helps ramp the organization up and build that culture of CI sharing. As I'm listening to you there, it feels like the kind of the through line amongst all of those, especially early stage parts is trust, building trust. I think when you mentioned like the hard, what are you providing a central source of truth that is that they can trust is correct. And it will give them the information they need. But then also the t trust in terms of the two way communication, the lunch and learn, having feet. Here's what I know. What do you know? And kind of building that relationship, which is another form, like a softer form of building trust. And it's, it's, that's kind of the thing that's ringing in my head when, I, when I'm hearing you speak at this early days. And again, um, if people in the field, teams don't trust what you're providing, ultimately, then, then it's not, then your project, your program, what you provide is going to fall on deaf ears, really. Right. Absolutely. And we had an organization called... Uh our champion group. So what that was, it was a representative of somebody from product, from sales, from marketing, from the executives. And once a month, we opened up our CIT meeting to this group of stakeholders. And we said, this is what we're doing. Are we on track? Can you help us socialize these efforts? Can you help us normalize these maybe uh, one-off requests? And that just showed how we wanted constant alignment with those stakeholders. Um, but Adam, I think to your point around truth, you know, if you can't trust the intel, then you're in a really dicey spot. And I have to kind of speak to how there's a lot of programs out there that are facing this, right? This is kind of the elephant in the room where sales does not trust CI or CI doesn't trust sales or whether it's sales or marketing or whatever company um, internally is looking for that competitive support, the trust is broken. And if there's anything that I would focus your efforts on is building that back up and, uh, you can definitely start doing that with the, the five stages of competitive enablement, right? That clue is put out there. A hundred percent. And some of the early things that you've brought to the table though, it's uh, I think it's never grown, like you always need to constantly work on establishing and building trust too. Mm -hmm. 
uh let's let's jump to let's jump to your time at slack right now sure yeah we can jump through time we're time travelers yeah right, Adam? yeah we, we've jumped through fast forward now and you've been at slack for a year just over a year correct mm-hmm. correct and so this like slack itself is has grown quite a lot you can see anyone that is looking at a video you can see the the pretty salesforce logo next to slack and if you have been living <laughs> under a rock you can you know that there was a pretty big acquisition and partnership that has that's occurred recently. But what's the most difficult thing that you found about supporting a larger and actually growing company with, with CI? Right. Another million dollar question, Adam. If I figured it out, I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to figure it out each and every day. <laughs> Yeah, so to think about this in depth, I would say the biggest challenge that keeps my boss up at night, my boss's boss, my old bosses up at night is scale, right? Is how to scale this out. And you can scale it out with people, with systems, with tools and technology, right? And if you can think about that in a methodology and try to nail each and every one of those, then you can properly stand on, you know, your feet and say that this is the best we got, right? Where we're at in sale, but in Slack, in terms of, you know, people, systems, and technology, uh, technology, we're, we're pretty, um, we're pretty lucky to have the Slack platform, right? And use that to connect with our internal stakeholders. And, you know, this is not a pitch for Slack, but I think Slack is a a huge, huge benefit to collecting competitive intelligence. And fun fact, uh, Slack stands for searchable log of all communication and knowledge. So think of, you know, years and years of competitive intelligence being stored in Slack and being able to search on that by keyword, by term. It's an analyst dream. And so that's why I'm salivating over my own platform, right? Like a, like a big fan that I am. Um, so you have, you know, certain systems in place. You also have your content management system, whether that uh, be SharePoint or Highspot or whatever that case may be, where you can point people to. And then you have the people that back it up. And that comes back to the, the main point of, of truth, right? Um, not just pushing in news alerts, right, from Google, but what is that going to, how is that going to impact your deal? And what does that mean to your customer at the end of the day? And that's where the magic happens in competitive marketing and competitive enablement and competitive intelligence. So I can't give you all the secret sauce, Adam. We're working <laughs> on it. We're not perfect, but we're getting there. But again, it, it ties to that ability to scale. And I think one of the things you mentioned there is like understanding the three core tenants that will allow you to scale and then building a process or as you mentioned, like methodology around that. I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of a winning formula as as you mentioned. It's actually like other guests I've had on here, people I've talked to, like everyone in that is beginning with competitive has that Slack channel that is competitive. Yeah or main competitors, competitive information. And oftentimes, especially if the person in charge of competitive at their company has done a good job with visibility, building trust, oftentimes I hear that that is the most popular Slack channel going in terms of interactions, engagement, mentions, like everyone's curious about it. And providing like with someone like Slack being providing an opportunity to get a window into that quickly is it's unbeatable really. Absolutely. I promise I didn't pay Adam to say that. That's my disclosure, everybody. Okay. <laughs> we, yeah. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Um, 
uh, as, as we've talked about, and it's, it's pretty obvious is that when you're running competitive, one of your main stakeholders is, is sales. What's one of the most frequent competitive requests that you get from sales? Like, what do they want? Yeah. So sales wants a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a loaded comment, but, uh, you know, sales wants the world from you. And I've worked with sellers, you know, for the past, you know, beyond my career in CI for the past 10, 15 years. And uh, it's, they're at the beck and call of the customers. And that's the number one request that I get is Clara, can you come and tell this neutral competitive story to our customers, right? So that they don't have to, and they don't seem as they're bashing the competition. And that's not my role. My role is not to bash the competition, right? I think CI gets a, a nasty face on that, mm -hmm. but it's to provide unique intelligence and unique insights that the customer might, might not have considered before. And that is the number one request that I get. And it's the hardest piece to scale because then you have to think about how do you certify your entire selling force on that message, right? And then there's different, you know, layers of, of competencies and education around that too. And that kind of goes into the enablement side. I won't jump into that black hole, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting topic. I had like three or four enablement questions that bubbled up into my head. There. Oh, like, let's hear it. Bring it on. Bring it on. We'll jump in that black hole. Let's well, do it. I, I am curious <laughs> because like you mentioned that you said your request is that the salesperson wants you to come in as the face of neutrality, right? And that's an interesting point because when I've listened to some other, uh, I actually listened to Anthony Iannarino. He was on our podcast with Jacob, um, one of our AEs, and he mentioned that one of the keys to competitive selling is as a salesperson being able to be perceived as a trusted advisor and someone that can be trusted and is not the, the typical um, used car salesman that's trying to ship you a bill of goods. So <laughs> I, I, I guess when, when I heard you say that, I'm like, is, where, is there something from the competitive side that you can enable or support your sales team to feel comfortable that they're coming across in the trusted as a trusted advisor rather than someone that's loaded like has a implicit bias and is bashing the competitor yeah i think it completely comes down to the tone adam that you come across tone is so underrated in competitive intelligence but it can make or break a deal and if the sales rep say is maybe a little inexperienced in their time or maybe new to the industry or new to the product they're more likely to call up ci if you have a five, 10 year veteran who's done it before, seen it all before, they most likely want the talk track, right? They most likely want the silver bullet so that they can do it themselves. And I see this actual curve drop off of, you know, you, you're gonna ramp AEs or account executives up on CI and they're gonna reach a point where they don't really need you anymore. And that's when you know you've succeeded. And when I say they don't need you, it means that they don't need the handholding. They still need the newsletter. They still need the most latest insights. They still need your analysis and your marketing content and everything that you have to create, but they're not going to be the ones calling you day in and day out um, for coaching and for support and for these unique installments uh, with customers. And that's, that actually kind of ties back to one of the common problems or pain points that I, I hear from a lot of early people, early days in a competitive program is time, constant sales requests and often repeat questions uh, like, like you mentioned, that hand-holding aspect of things, it's, 
it kind of ties back to scalability. And if mm-hmm. you're being, if your whole day is consumed by one-off requests, then it's harder to, there's a lot more to it than just helping sales on one on one-off competitive deals. There's a lot more to competitive, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned. And so I, I, I just think that that's a, that's a really interesting point and that you're, what's, I don't even know how, how you put it, but when you see a salesperson that does that can walk on their own and they just need like, boom, 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 the silver bullets. It's just like, that is your seal of approval. That's how you, yeah. your job here is done. Yes, um, absolutely. And the job is never done, Adam. Like, of course, like <laughs> I'll be the proud mama, right? Like my CI kid going to school and like fighting their own bullies, right? Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. But it comes back to our original talk of trust that they trust you and they trust your updates and they trust your content. And they're going to be coming back and using that over and over again. Also comes back to the point where I said about systems, uh, processes and technology, right? Or, or people, whatever I said, I'll just quote myself in the past, whatever <laughs> I said, like five minutes ago, that sounded really great. Um, but, you know, could you hire more people to support that, those CI requests coming in? Could you scale it out using technology? And then systems wise, can you start to create winning plays from these themed requests that are coming in, right? So if we see this one request coming in about this one competitor, how can you do a competitive training on them to level set the education across the board for everybody? And then how can you build, you know, repeated plays and content for them to put into action in their deals, right? That's the million dollar question. And if you are very short-sighted and just chasing deals and not really looking at trends in terms of impacting sales behavior, I would highly recommend you working with your enablement team and looking at how you can improve your people, you know, processes and technology. I've got, I've got many new podcast episode ideas that you and I can work on. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. it. I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time and not do a Joe Rogan three hour episode here, but like (laughs) this enablement side, your partnership with the enablement team and actually building the messaging, I think, is something that a lot of people would be interested in hearing, and I'd love yeah. to see how how your team goes about it. But that will have to they'll have to wait for now. And also, yeah. I want your sleuthing secrets about PDFs <laughs> and things like that. The hands sure thing. What, let's so. let's wait to hear what the people have to say, Adam. If people like this and want more, then maybe I'll come back. Yeah, that, we'll see. That's the call to action, listeners. Just start flooding Claire's DMs and say yeah. that you need to you need to come back on. Um, I, I only have a couple more questions here, but one thing as well from, from your time at iSims and NetSuite, what's, what's something you've learned from those roles that now you've applied at Slack? That's a tough one. I got to take a second. I'm making <laughs> you get introspective here. You are, you are. Enough, enough about Claire's theories of, of CI. <laughs> now you're making me look back into my own book of business here. <laughs> yeah, I would say that the relationships are the most important at the end of the day, right? And I could geek out and talk about human intelligence and do a whole, you know, uh, course or session on, on collecting intelligence from people. And I'll leave that to skip. I'll leave that for people much more smarter than me uh, or maybe some ex-CIA friends that I know. But I would say at the end of the day, never underestimate relationships, always leave the door open. You never know where intelligence is gonna come from and you never know who is gonna come forth with something that could make or break the future, right? In terms of your program, in the next deal that you're supporting, maybe an executive uh, you know, conversation that you're gonna have next. 
And I've also started to ask the question, what do you want to know to make your decisions more effectively? This was something that I asked my boss's boss today. I'm not going to name drop, but I asked him, what, you know, what do you need to make decisions more effectively that I can support? And that's what it comes back to in terms of what CI does best is delivering and finding those unique insights that nobody else has in the company. So I know I didn't tell you any stories there. I'm trying to think of some fun stories. Um, no, I like yeah, that. but that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very that's a uh, very poignant. And again, it almost feels like that through line of trust. Again, I've got one final little bit I wanted to touch on with you sure. before, before we leave here. And it, it's sort of when you talked about the idea of maturity, one of the last things you actually mentioned was that executive approval and having leadership support is key to scaling, um, scaling competitive across the business. Having, having those people in your corner is it's, part and parcel with being able to build these relationships even more effectively. It's kind of like gasoline on a fire, but a good fire. Um, <laughs> in terms We're, of... I love I, how we've talked about black holes, good <laughs> fires, English people and how we love their accents. Maybe, yeah, maybe not you, Adam, people. but... Yeah. <laughs> See, mine's only half at this point. And I'm almost, <laughs> almost a Canadian citizen. Finger crossed, fingers crossed. Um, when you're when you're getting leadership on board and building trust with them and getting their approval, what does um, you mentioned that you provide monthly competitive briefs? What what do they what do they look like? Can we get a peek inside the window? <laughs> Adam, maybe I'll have to like cut it short and have people come back for part two where I'll really <laughs> open the open the uh, the curtains on that one. But I think. Honestly, like I, I can't share exactly what's in it because I might get into some trouble there, but I would say that think about what your executives are looking for that they can't get anywhere else, right? Whether it's win-loss data, whether it's market insights, whether it's, you know, testimonials from customers or plays that are working, right? This is what they're interested in. And when I've talked to executives, I always tell a couple stories because they love to repeat stories and sound really smart and intelligent and capable and that they're connected with their people. So think about the tidbits and the sound bites that you can give your executives to sound smarter. Because at the end of the day, if, if I can make Stuart Butterfield sound a little bit smarter then I know that I've done my job well and I can sleep well at night. You know, what's funny actually as well as stories stick in people's minds more as mm -hmm. well, rather than they're the importance of data. I think data is critical within a competitive program, but also the storytelling aspect as well from competitive. I think that will be when we get to part two and we start talking about enablement and messaging. The storytelling part is the thing that sticks. People, yeah. What, uh, I can't remember the quote now. I could look it up, but they, they don't remember oh, no. what you said or what you did, but it's how they made you feel. And yes, that's the quote. Yep. So I don't know. If that might I might have just shoehorned that one in there at the last minute, but <laughs> it felt good to me. Um, yeah. I love that. And I, if I would leave any presentation, that is definitely my quote that I love to leave with is I want to make sure that you feel confident because of me and connected, right. And, and, and inspired because of that and the work that I do. And at the end of the day, if I could put in my last pitch is you're delivering to executives, the, so what, so there's the win-loss data, there's this customer insight, there's this market development, but what are you going to do because of it? And that's the million dollar question. And I'm happy to talk with anybody one-on-one -on -one about that if you slide into my LinkedIn DMs. And on that note, 
I think that there's the call to action for listeners. Clara, I really appreciate you giving me your time here. We covered a lot, and I think there's plenty more that we can uh, we can pull on in future episodes. So I won't take any more of your time now, but I might do later. So thank you for joining me, and we'll catch everyone next week. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure. <laughs>